Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been in a series, uh, walking, <laughs> grunting our way, trudging our way through the Beatitudes. And uh, the Beatitudes, uh, next to perhaps Psalm 23, maybe next to the Ten Commandments, it, it has to be one of the best known pieces of Scripture. Um, and even folks who didn't grow up in church have probably heard some or at least all of the Beatitudes, and they're familiar with them in some way. And today we're going to look at the last one that Jesus uh, mentioned. And uh, if you have your Bible, and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be in that chapter once again today. Uh, let us read, though, the first uh, ten verses this morning. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as you heard those verses, maybe you heard uh, that the first one, the, the blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the persecuted, have the same reward. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things I've been trying to, uh, to impart to each of us throughout this series is that these are, are not, they're, they're not things that you do to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, when you look at this in the original language, none of these are verbs. None of these are actions. It's more like they're traits, they're characteristics of a person who has already entered the kingdom. They're... They're the way you should look once you've become born again, as Jesus put it in John 3. Once you have been born again and now you are born of the kingdom, this is what you will look like. These are characteristics. These are traits that you will have. In fact, when we look at this one, blessed are the persecuted. <laughs> if this was a verb, if this was a way to get into the kingdom... Um, that would lead to some strange behavior, would it not? And sadly, there are many Christians who read this as a trait or a thing that we can bring upon ourselves uh, to help us get into the kingdom. I, I think of Westboro Baptists right away, a, a group of people who uh, bring on themselves persecution. Not because they're righteous, as this passage says, but because they're jerks. Anybody familiar with Westboro Baptist? Yes. Okay, thank you. One person. Tim can explain. Here, here's the mic. Um, and I think it's necessary for us to, to kind of look at this uh, in the negative for a bit, as the English say. I, I've been reading a guy named uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a great preacher in London. Um, and he exposited 
this passage of Scripture. In fact, he just did the Sermon on the Mount. He did a book called The Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. I have the paperback version, and it's this thick. Um, the guy spent a lot of time looking at these verses and meditating upon them and, and preaching on them. And, and what he talks about here is you've got to get in your mind what this is not, what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake uh, is oftentimes very different than what we really think it is. And so he says, we need to know what this is not. And, and so, for instance, this is not being persecuted because of your foolishness. This is not being persecuted because you're being foolish. You're, you're, you're acting in a uh, self-righteous manner. You're acting in a way that is um, uppity. You're acting in a way uh, that is objectionable or difficult. It is none of those things, being persecuted uh, in the way I put it, being a jerk. Many people think that when we are being persecuted, we're being persecuted for righteousness, but we're not. We're being persecuted because we are behind the times, or we are backwards, or we are being difficult, or obstinate, or self-righteous. Remember that group of people that Jesus had the biggest difficulties with in the, old, in the New Testament? The Pharisees. Do you remember what you're supposed to do every time you hear the word Pharisees? Da, 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 right? Because they're like the bad guys. Pharisees. Ba, da, da, da. Now, those are the people that Jesus had the most difficulties with. They're actually the ones that brought about his death. They're actually the ones who persecuted him. But the basis of their persecution was self-righteousness. The reason Jesus bumped heads with them so much is not because they were righteous, but because they were self-righteous. And so being persecuted that Jesus talks about here is not because we're being self-righteous. It's not because we go to Walmart and we see the good Lord people, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, good Lord, look at her. Yeah. That's self-righteousness. In case you didn't know what good what self-righteousness looks like, whenever the idea of, oh, good Lord, look at them. When that crosses your mind, that's you being judgmental and being self-righteous. Have you noticed how easy that is? Anybody? Am I the only one? I am? No. Getting a little nervous here, man. I'm sharing a little too deep, a little too much. I mean, that just comes natural. I've been doing it since I was in high school. Because my high school had tons of good Lord people there. Oh, good Lord. Right? I mean, there's those people. And it just happens naturally. So how on earth could you be persecuted for something that happens naturally? How could that be a good thing? How could that be a characteristic of somebody who has died to self, who's been born again, who's being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ? How could something that comes naturally be a characteristic of a person who's a kingdom person? And I would argue to you, it can't be. And Jesus, I think, would argue with you, it can't be because the people who killed him were the good Lord people. Oh, good Lord, did you see that? He healed somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, good Lord, did you hear what he said? I'm sure they said, oh, Yahweh or something. But they did say something along those lines. And they didn't like what they saw in Jesus. And 
ultimately led to his death. I've been reading through the book of John lately in my private devotional time. If you don't have a private devotional time, let me encourage you to have a private devotional time. I read the book of John. Did you notice I'm not preaching in the book of John? I read the book of John not so that I can get ready to say something on Sunday morning. I read it because I need it. Because I need to connect with the scriptures, with God through the scriptures, with Jesus through the scriptures. If you don't have a personal devotional time, just start reading the book of John. Just get it out in the mornings, one chapter at a time. That's what I do. I just slowly read and think about what I'm reading. And it's so fascinating to me how many times Jesus says things that make these folks, the Pharisees, angry to the point that they want to kill him. My wife sometimes can say things that irritate me. Did you know I can say stuff that makes her mad? Yeah, it's true. It boggles my mind as well. Because I'm always right. I don't get it. My kids can say stuff that just... But I have yet to have anybody say something to me because that's what they are upset about. Stuff that Jesus said. I have yet to have anybody ever say something to me that I said, they're going to die for that. That is, do you see how radical that is to want some blood, to want to kill somebody for something they said? Maybe you don't see how radical that is. Maybe that's an everyday occurrence for you. That's pretty radical. And maybe you say those things because you know you have no power to bring it about. Pharisees had some power. Self-righteousness can't be what Jesus is talking about here. What else could he not be talking about here? You see, I think we get confused sometimes with what we're being persecuted about. Because sometimes we are persecuted because of our fanaticism. Some churches, some people are persecuted because they're just fanatics. And what I mean by that is they're weird. I mean, I'm weird. I understand that. I get that. Some of you, you're weird. I mean, we have our idiosyncrasies, but that's not what I mean by weird. Some Christians are just really weird. You know those ones that come to your door, knock on it, when you don't want to talk to anybody? You're like me. You're an introvert. You're in your shell. You're in your castle. You have a moat. The gate is drawn close. And this, hey, we just want to show up and share the love of Jesus with you. We just want to pray with you, brother. Hey, I know Jesus. I'm a pastor. Oh, really? That's fascinating. Okay, do you know these things? And they just want to talk to me about their faith. And they just, and it's like, just leave me alone. We're about to eat dinner. It's like telemarketers. They're weird, right? Telemarketers are weird. If you're a telemarketer, you're weird. I'm sorry. It's just weird. And there's some Christians, their approach of things brings about persecution, not because of Jesus and righteousness, but because of their approach. There's some Christian ways of thinking that bring about persecution, not because it's righteousness, but because it's weird to everybody else. Sometimes it's even weird to other Christians. We see this throughout church history. Did you know that some of the harshest persecution of Christians has come from other Christians? Yeah, blew my mind reading about this this week. In fact, there were two men who were very well known. Uh, they were um, Tyndale and Huss, William Tyndale and John Huss. 
And both of these men were burned at the stake by the Catholic Church because they translated the Bible into the common language. They translated the Bible into English. (laughs) And they were burned at the stake as heretics. They were persecuted. Now, they were persecuted because of righteousness. They were persecuted by other Christians, or at least folks claiming to be Christians. And that is what persecution looks like. It's not because we do things in a weird way and we we bring about the ire of those around us. Um, It's not because of self-righteousness. It's not that we bring unnecessary suffering on ourselves. Because we can't. And we often do. You know, there's a quote from John Stott that um, I want us to consider briefly. It's the next slide, Sam. He says, Since all the Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be, we conclude that that the condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted, is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or merciful. That's a crazy statement there. That is a difficult statement. In fact, one preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says that this is the most revealing beatitude of them all. Blessed are the persecuted. It is the most revealing of our hearts. It is the most revealing of our condition when it comes to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the most revealing of whether we are in the kingdom or not. It is the most revealing of them all. Because you can't fake persecution. Now, sometimes we're persecuted for ways that are not righteousness. A couple of others that we're persecuted for that aren't righteousness. Um, he says that there's a difference between being persecuted for righteousness and being persecuted for a cause. You ever been persecuted for a cause? Something you really believe in? You know, I, I've always struggled with people who really love pets other than fish. I really like fish, but and I've shared that with you. And I struggle with people who, like that, that pet store in Fort Morgan, it's the dumbest name in the world. Pets are people too? It's a question, right? That's how you're supposed to say the name, right? Pets are people too? Or are you supposed to say pets are people too? I'm pretty sure it's a question. Pets are people too? Right? Are you guys with me? Is this thing on? Am I the only one amused by this? Is the owner here? This would be an example of me being persecuted for being a jerk and being stupid, okay? But that's just the... Pets aren't people. Two. They're not. Last I checked. In fact, what Jesus says, they're not people. Now, that doesn't mean we should not love for and care for animals. That's not wrong. We are told that we are to exercise dominion over creation. We are told that we are supposed to be stewards, that we are supposed to take good care of every living creature in this world. And on those standards, I fall short. But I've always struggled with when people exalt pets to the realm of people. 
that's a cause that I persecute people on sometimes. But they're not being persecuted for righteousness. They're being persecuted by me because I think that's a weird cause. Oakland Raider fans, that's a weird cause. And I, I persecute them. I make fun of them. I belittle them. I send them hate mail. I try to kick them out of the church. The elders haven't agreed with me on that completely. But... I mean, there's some things that are just weird causes. And we persecute them for it. Did you know that when you wear a Broncos hat in San Diego, you get persecuted for your cause sometimes? I found that out. Um, but that's not me being persecuted for righteousness. There are non-Christians who are Raider fans. Lots of them. <laughs> that's a joke, by the way. Lots of non-Christians who are Raider fans. But there's also lots of non-Christians who are Bronco fans. And so being persecuted for a cause is not being persecuted for righteousness. In fact, we've got to dial this back a little further because it's easy to see that in sports. It's harder to see it in, say, a political cause. It's harder to see it in a political, religious, social cause. It's much more difficult because we think, well, all Christians vote that way. All Christians believe this. And therefore, since we believe this and we're pushing for this cause, we're being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're being persecuted for a cause. A great example of this is the recent fascination of the Tea Party and the right and Republicans with a philosopher named Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. There we go. Ayn Rand. I can't pronounce her name because I'm retarded. Anyways. She was an atheist philosopher. And she was born in 1905 in Russia, and she immigrated to America in 1926. And, and she began this philosophy called object, objectivism. And she wrote several books that have been very influential. One was called Atlas Shrugged. The other was The, the Fountainhead. And Atlas Shrugged has been touted by many folks that are Republicans and Tea Party folks. And Glenn Beck has talked about it. Rush Limbaugh has talked about this book. In fact, there was recently a poll by the Library of Congress of book clubs in our country. And what was the most influential book in those clubs? And they found the number one was the Bible, and the second was Atlas Shrugged. I found that astonishing. And Chuck Colson, before he died, he, he did a breakpoint, a two-minute breakpoint, where he described in detail how dangerous it is for the right to be so interested in Ayn Rand, but in her. I can't say her name, I apologize. Hotel Franks does not work with her first name. <laughs> and so they are interested in her, but she was an atheist. She had no concern for the poor. She rejected altruism. She rejected almost every single thing that the Christians believe to be true. And yet she's often touted as a person who articulates, from a philosophical standpoint, uh, capitalism and the good of it, and personal responsibility and the good of it. But here's a person 
who has many similar ideas to those who grab hold of her teachings for their cause, who was far from Christ, who rejected God, who was an outspoken atheist. And then we think we're being persecuted for certain religio-political views. We think this verse applies. She was persecuted for the same views, but she wasn't being persecuted for righteousness. You can be persecuted for certain political views, for per certain religious views that have nothing to do with righteousness. So what does righteousness have to do with? What is it Jesus is talking about here? Well, one of the cool things in the Bible is you can keep reading and find out. Because this is the one beatitude that Jesus expounds upon. He doesn't stop and just leave us, uh, I think I know what merciful means. He continues on. He says this in verse 11. It should be on the screen. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because you're a jerk. Because of your cause. Because of your self-righteousness. Because of your smug attitude. Because, no, because of Christ, he says. Because of me. It's like he's changed the discussion. It was kind of in the third person general. Blessed are, the, blessed are those who are persecuted. Third person. And now he's changed it to second person. Blessed are you. He's speaking to you, his disciples. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted because of Jesus. You see, that is what it means to be persecuted because of righteousness. This is what they call in Hebrew a parallelism. Jesus is saying the same thing in different ways. He's repeating himself, just in case you missed it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And then he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for me. He's linking righteousness and himself. Are you catching what he's doing? And so to be righteous means to be like Jesus. To, right, to be righteous is to be Christ-like. To be righteous is to live in this world and interact in this world the way Jesus would. That's why those wristbands are kind of helpful. What would Jesus do? Because that is the kind of persecution he's talking about. When you are persecuted because of Jesus... Not because of a cause, not because of self-righteousness, not because of fanaticism. When you are being persecuted because of being a follower, a disciple, trying to be Christ-like, then you're blessed. Then this beatitude applies to you. Let's keep reading. Maybe he helps us understand this a little bit more. Rejoice. <laughs> That's the first verb in this whole passage. Being poor in spirit is not a verb. Being merciful is not a verb. Being grieving is not a verb. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not a verb. So participles, a little different part of speech. These are the first, what they call imperatives, commands, in this whole passage of Scripture. 
This is the first time Jesus commands us to do anything in this chapter. And it's linked to our response to persecution. Don't you wish, I mean, in your, in your you know, sinful, evil heart, he would have said, get even? I mean, the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. I mean, don't you wish he said, you know, go after them to the full extent of the law? Don't you wish he said, stick up for yourself? Don't let them tread on you, walk on you, do these things to you. Don't you wish he said, I mean, you know, in your heart of hearts. And even if you don't wish he said that, you know that's what you would have said. That's what I would have said. In fact, the reason you're being persecuted, if you follow the logic of the Beatitudes, the reason you and I are being persecuted is because we are trying to be peacemakers. We're trying to be merciful. We are these people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is why we are being persecuted, because we're being like Christ. And it's like Jesus is saying, when you find yourself being persecuted, your response needs to be like Christ, not like you. I don't like that. Because I'd much rather drag you to court, punch you in the nose, get even, take revenge, never speak to you when I see you. Avoid you. Wish bad things on you. <laughs> right? All the creative ways that my heart can come up with. This was never one of those creative things that my heart would have ever come up with. I never would have, hey man, let's just rejoice. Huh? Rejoice? You see, this is why this is the most revealing of us of all of the Beatitudes that Jesus speaks. Because this demonstrates to us that we have to be born again. We have to be transformed. That these things cannot be true of us unless something deep down in our core, unless our heart has been ripped out and it's been replaced with a new heart. These characteristics are not true of us in our natural self. They are only true of us if we know Christ. And he is changing us. Because when people are persecuted, they don't rejoice. But he says, rejoice and be glad. I highlighted those in yellow because those are the imperatives. Those are the commands from this passage of scripture. And whenever Jesus commands something, he said at the end of the book of Matthew, teach folks to obey everything I commanded them. Remember that? Maybe you don't. Maybe this is new territory. This is something Jesus commanded of us. That when we are persecuted, rejoice and be glad. <laughs> wow. That's so revealing of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You, when you are persecuted for righteousness, are in good company, says Jesus. In fact, he uttered this before he died. And he knew the way he would die. And he knew why he would die. And he could have said, because you are in my wake. You're in my footsteps. You're following me because they hate me. They did this to me. They'll do it to you. In fact, I think if there is no persecution of the church, we should be utterly grateful but insanely surprised. So, what should we Americans do with this information? We have lived in the Disneyland of world history. We have lived in a place where, you know, you woke up this morning, you're like, eh, should I or shouldn't I go to church? Dave last night shocked us. He's like, I'm really excited about church tomorrow. And we're like, who is this kid? <laughs> Maybe you feel that way. Maybe some of you feel like, I can't wait to get to church tomorrow. It's going to be fun. I'll see what, look, look forward to it, see what happens. See how many times Steve puts his foot in his mouth. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. But maybe you were excited to come to church. And some of you, maybe you have a drug problem, like I've said. You were drugged to church by somebody, your wife, your parents, somebody. It's just painful to get you here. And you're here, and you're like, see, told you. Story hasn't changed. Same old song. <laughs> and, and, and whatever reason you're here, you had the complete and utter freedom to show up. And, and we can be loud as we want it. Some of you think it's too loud of our music. Some of you think it's not loud enough. Uh, we can play as loud as we want. We could go out into the public and do this. We could, we could shut down the street. You know, pay some money or something. We could probably shut down the street and have church out in the street one day. We could go to the park and have church there. And none of us would ever be afraid for our lives. None of us would think, are they coming? We wouldn't have to have a lookout. We wouldn't have to have anybody waiting to help us shut it down, turn it off, load up the vans, get out of here. And it never crosses my mind that, oh gosh, we better get some armed guards at the doors because somebody might decide to come in here and get a little rowdy. Somebody might decide to hurt us. So how are we as Americans supposed to understand this and live this. If this is to be a mark of the Christian, just as much as purity of heart or mercy is a mark of the Christian, how does this show up in America for us? Well, quite frankly, we've been very privileged. We've been insanely privileged in this country during my entire lifetime, during your entire lifetime. We've been insanely privileged as followers of Jesus. Because for the most part, we've been the dominant worldview in America. And for the most part, people who aren't really in the kingdom kind of consider themselves in the kingdom. I've yet to do a funeral, even for somebody who didn't come to church, who wanted me to say stuff like, yeah, they didn't know Jesus. They're not going to heaven. And they all want me to say that, whether they believe it or not. In fact, one pastor's poll that I just read this past week, this pastor asked a group of pastors, what's the number one thing 
the number one challenge in churches today in America? What's the number one challenge that you face as a pastor in America? And do you know what the number one answer was? Apathy. Apathy. It was the resounding number one answer that the vast majority of pastors give when they're asked by another pastor, hey, how's your church going? Pretty good, but most folks are pretty apathetic. I mean, they applaud me when I grab the squirt gun and go storming the gates of hell. They're not really excited to grab their own. Do you think an apathetic church is a persecuted church? I was shocked when I heard that there were two million Christians in Iraq. Two million. I was like blown away. Man, you, those people are crazy. I'd get on out of there. And if you stick around for adult Sunday school, you're going to see people who were threatened. And they had no money. They had no means of moving away from the neighborhood. They didn't have options. If somebody came to my house and said, move out of Ray or we'll kill you and your family dead, oh, I think I'll go to Denver for a few weeks. Let this calm down. Because I have that ability. Or, mm, I'll renounce this thing. I mean, I don't know why people get that all excited about these things. See, an apathetic church is never going to be a persecuted church. And an apathetic church is never going to be a growing church. And an apathetic church is never going to be a Christ-like church. And do you know the only fix for an apathetic church? Persecution. It's the only fix. It's the only fix. And so if persecution is knocking on the door of American churches, rejoice! Rejoice! And be glad because we're going to find out who is truly in the kingdom and who's just along for the ride. So the question begs, are you in the kingdom? Do these look like marks in your life? Are these things true of you? That you are pure in heart. That you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That you're merciful. That you recognize that your problems are too great for you to solve. That you grieve over your sin. Is it true of you that apathy isn't going to get the best of you? But you're going to stand your ground for Christ. You see... But this will close. Too often we make heroes in the Christian world of people like great musicians or great Bible teachers or great authors or great athletes. We make heroes out of these people like Tim Tebow or, or Francis Chan who was in that video or uh, Chris Tomlin who's written a lot of songs that we sing around here. We make them out to be heroes. And when you make one of those people out to be a hero, then you want to be like them. And Francis Chan argues that we need to change who our heroes are. Our heroes need to be the William Tyndales, and the John Husses. He 
apostle Peter. Our heroes need to be those Iraqis who the week after they were baptized gave their lives for Christ. Those are the people we need to want to be like because they are like Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are far from easy things for us to look at or deal with or even want to be like sometimes. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue your transforming work in our hearts. And if we have never surrendered our lives to Christ, I mean, not to the point that we would ever literally, literally lay it down, let alone figuratively let it down. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts and we would want to become subjects of the kingdom. Lord, I do pray that as persecution might begin in our country, that it would be a tool you would use to correct and discipline us and to grow us, to make us more like Christ. Lord, let us be humble in that it's so true that where there has been persecution during our lifetime, the church has exploded in growth and where there has been ease and comfort, the church has declined. Lord, let us not be apathetic. Let us be people who are passionate for Christ. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you passionately follow Jesus Christ. May we each count the cost as Jesus said. Count the cost of what it means to be his follower, his disciple. Whatever that might be in the days and months and weeks ahead. Amen.